Okay. Um, do I have an opening? I really don't know. I have absinthe. That's what I have. Ooh, oh, nice. Shit. That's a lot of absinthe, isn't it? You only fill it up to here. Mm-hmm. You, you fucking th- added water and sugar, didn't you? You're supposed to. Oh, that's what no, you're, you're supposed not. to do, right? It's gross. No, you're supposed no, to. That's how no, you're supposed to drink it. No, it's better straight. You're doing the, the bougie nonsense. That's so much better. <laughs> this Don't this do- is a replica cup from the kind that they would use in like 1890s French bistros. So. This seems right for the podcast today. Yeah. No, I actually have good absinthe, though. And not in the myth of, like, ooh, it doesn't have the right kind. No, that's bullshit. People were just on a lot of opium. It never <laughs> had a lucid But also, properties. putting water in it makes it worse. You should spend less money, buy um, buy other uh, – what's what's the what's the green liqueur uh, – not liqueur, the – Chartreuse? Chartreuse. Buy chartreuse. Chartreuse is cheaper, and it tastes better, and it's the same shit. No. Yes. <laughs> I'm right. It doesn't, it doesn't sound as cool. Absinthe is delicious. It's like herby and grassy. It's what chartreuse is, and it costs like 20 bucks less. My absinthe is not that expensive. <laughs> I'm just saying. You just, you just don't know about absinthe, I think. Yes, I, I no. Yeah, this is, I clearly this don't is drink. An, uh, <laughs> I'm going to absinthe you. This is an absinthe-themed <laughs> absinthe podcast yes. now. <laughs> I'm the one with Oscar Wilde hair, Justin. <laughs> Justin, I swear to God, you and those like Looney Tunes sound effects. I haven't added any more actually. I've got other just the cat and the the duck, chicken. You should do the um, Michigan J Frog. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's the best. And a symbol for like, yeah, like he made a man insane and completely fall to pieces. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was like trans. That too. No, maybe. I don't know. He's a symbol. Uh, I, I'm reclaiming him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Justin. I'm Skullcom Library. My pronouns are he and him. I'm Jay. I'm a library director. <laughs> I can say it now. I don't know if I can say That's it right yet, though. <laughs> um, and my pronouns are he, him. And we have a guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hello. Um, I'm Kate. My pronouns are she, her, or they, them. Dealer's choice. And um, I'm an artist and just all around weird freak. For guests who have like two set, like more than one set of pronouns, we should like get like a D20 or something like do dice rolls to decide which one we're going to use like in each sentence. (laughs) (laughs) I would accept that. (laughs) Gamify it or whatever the kids say. Jay wrote in the chat. I wasn't trying to be a dick. You could not get me mad on this podcast. It would be impossible. Okay, you looked frustrated. <laughs> I always look like that. Was face. it Was it the absinthe talk? Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm keeping part of that. In. Oh, well, I always think I'm going to keep some stuff from the beginning and it never like works out. You're paranoid, sexist, and you make fun of the elderly. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> it's Bugs Bunny talking to Daffy Duck. 
They make new Looney Tunes now. Oh, that's right. Wow. I, I'm still woke, woke tunes. Woke tunes. Mm. Do they put them in Space Gender? Jam? What is this? Soviet Russia? So anyway, we're here to talk <laughs> about library stuff. Kind of. Hell yeah. Entirely. <laughs> it's all about libraries 100% of the time. So KTET, uh, no one's going to get that because you can't see. Um, <laughs> Kate, 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 yes. Kate, um, where are you from? What are you doing here? Like, I mean, like, what's what's your deal? What's my deal? Um, well, all right. So I'm an artist. I make uh, work with like mostly with fiber and like found shit. But I love libraries. I've always loved libraries. When I was um, a little kid, I think I was like, maybe I was 11 or 12. Um, I let my I convinced my parents to let me go to the library every day for summer vacation instead of going to summer camp. So libraries are always like, yeah. And like, <laughs> Good it deal. Was the, yeah, it was the best. Like I, I am so not a jock. I don't want to like compete in sports with anyone. I want to, I wanted to be left alone. I wanted to read and like look at books and in like the scary back corner of my yeah. library, which is where all the like occult books were. And it was definitely haunted in that corner. It's like so. John Waters talking about the books that he would like to read where it said, see librarian before he can yes. actually look at them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And I just like a lot of library things like end up in my work. I have like two typewriters and I like to research and like, do archiving shit and yeah so i'm very like library friendly <laughs> even though i'm not a librarian we should get some library hostel people on yeah. <laughs> I'm, libraries. A li- I'm a librarian ally <laughs> <laughs> oh god the thing where like instead of like a safety pin what would you put on to show that you were an ally to librarians Oh, you know, the conference ribbon, <laughs> the people at ALA and I'm one of these people who get them like three feet long. I did that my first You conference. look like a dictator. Yeah. Yeah. They just keep going down. Yeah, I totally what? did that. Why is it three feet long? What's. Oh, so yeah, I need to know a lot of library conferences, especially at our main one, the American Library Association. You can get like for your you know your conference badge that you wear on like a dorky lanyard thing. You can there's like these like sticker ribbons that you can put on, and there's this whole desk of them because it's like all of the different sub organizations and all of the different roundtables. And then if you're a first timer, if you know people will like put rogue unaffiliated ones out there or like hashtag whatever. And then like if you're a nerd and you know I say this is a person who's done this, you end up getting where it's like feet long and it's just dragging behind you <laughs> as you as you walk around because you gotta like show all the, it's like putting like things on a it's like putting patches on a jacket but not cool so it's like a cvs receipt or something yes like, <laughs> library <laughs> exactly i posted a link so you can see thank you that's amazing yeah it's a bunch of those but you know all like daisy chain together uh-huh yeah <laughs> Is that at? A, I'm not gonna ask. That looks like it's in at on a urinal. It is. Yeah. Okay, just wondering. That's an ACRL 2019. Is is that one of yours? Nope, I was not a committee member. Oh, 
You just found it. Yeah, it was just there. That person was tired. They're like, fuck this committee. Yeah. Person was 90. <laughs> so, Kate, uh, let's do plugs up front. Sure. Where are you from? Who are you? What are you doing in my house? <laughs> uh, well, okay. I live in beautiful South Philadelphia. Hey, my best friend's in Philly. Yeah. Go birds. Yeah. yeah, go birds. It's a fantastic city. I love it. I've lived here for like 12 years. And I also have a podcast that is a Buffy rewatch podcast, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, for people who don't know. And it's called Fangs for the Memories because we're dorks and like puns. Um, and we're at Fangs Podcast on Twitter. And then we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash fangscast. And um, yeah, we just like talk about nerdy Buffy stuff. Our motto is that we love Buffy. We love Buffy. I don't know who she is. We love Buffy. Buffy these nuts. <laughs> yeah. Buffy the vampire slewer. <laughs> um, and we hate Joss Whedon. So like if anyone is worried about that, we are not Joss fans. Joss hanging out. Yeah. I've listened <laughs> to a couple episodes, but I've never watched Buffy at all. Yeah. So I don't remember anything, but I was listening to a random episode and I was like, I vaguely remember this plot. <laughs> it just got into the ether. Yeah. It was just playing in the background or something. I never really was able to keep up with it. Like I've tried to watch it and I'm just like, Ugh. this is why you should have me on the Buffy episode. So I just have no idea what's going on. Yeah. I've tried a few episodes and I just like, can't do the, the, the weed in, but one of my, I understand one of my best yeah. friends from grad school, she showed me a, f- a few fun episodes, mainly that involved uh, Spike doing things or the one where Buffy's like a bad girl and like Les is out in the club by yes. bad girl dancing. And then the one with the adults when they eat the candy that makes them like act like teenagers and Giles like fucks Buffy's mom on a car or something. That was a fun episode, I have to admit. We just talked about that one, Band Candy. It's great. Isn't that the plot from the Elvira movie? They they put like, she puts a spell on the food and everyone gets horny and like all the conservative people in town. No, that's the cook, the thief, the wife, and her lover. (laughs) Nice segue. Nice. I'm a professional. We're going to talk about this library movie that everyone mentions in library school, which is the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Released in 1989 slash 1990, depending on where you are in the world. Kate, they they don't mention this in library school. (laughs) I was wondering, because they talk about it nonstop in art school. So I was like, cool. Yeah. That one doesn't surprise me. Uh, I guess we should know this if you're going to like work with art students then. Yeah, the no, I'm I'm only working with redacted music students uh, because it's a conservatory. Oh, but what were you going to call them? Why did you redact it? Because Are I have use the F word again. <laughs> no, I'll just say faggot. Justin. <laughs> like I'll just do that. But no, but um, no, because I haven't gotten the, the go ahead to actually ed- like the job ad still up, even though I start in two weeks. Wow. No, so, get it together. Yeah. <laughs> Lawyer. Academia. Yeah, Kate, um, the, the two movies that they always talk about in library school are Party Girl. Mainly, it's mainly Party Girl, and then Desk Set uh, with um, Catherine Hepburn. Oh, okay. It's, well, it's Party really Girl is like one of my favorite movies, and I was like, I I was like 
excited then also bummed that Louisa has already come on and talked about it because I was like party girl oh to have you on <laughs> yeah well because I like lived in New York and I went to clubs and stuff and like I feel like Parker Posey was like a huge inspiration to my like early dirtbag life in New York <laughs> we could do a recap of the party girl tv show okay <laughs> Which Justin has watched a few episodes. I've of. watched yeah. two episodes of it. It's and awful. It's yeah, it's dumb. I actually did not know that one existed. Yeah, which means you didn't listen to our episode because I talk about it. Oh fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Called out. This is a challenge. Oh no. <laughs> What if I just have a really bad spotty memory? I mean, Justin apparently does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, what? (laughs) Where am I? What did I forget? (laughs) I lost my glasses at a diner today, so I'm like, I'm not doing well. They're on your face. No, I found them. I lost them and found them. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Thank you. Go team. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Boss Baby episode of Horror Vanguard, not to digress. Two hours. Oh my god. I was listening to it the entire time I was in Boston commuter traffic (laughs) uh, a couple weeks ago. It was the the perfect environment for listening to that episode. (laughs) Nice. We've had, yeah, we've had Ash and Kyle on the show because Ash is like a Buffy, like an actual Buffy scholar. Is he? Yes. He has like delivered papers about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That doesn't surprise me. Right? Yeah. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I want him yeah. to write a book about goo. Yeah. Goo. Yeah. It has to be a coffee table book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what he could say of the goo in today's episode movie. So what's this movie, oh. Kate, that you made, <laughs> yeah, should we they talk made about me this watch? Movie? I, well, okay. The Cook, the Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover is a disgusting and also beautiful movie by Peter Greenaway, who is like mostly kind of an art house director. This is actually considered like his most sort of like, I guess, plot driven movie. A lot of the other ones are like much harder to enter into and they're like more image based, less like plot based. Yeah. Prosperous books is just vibes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So he used to be a painter. And then he like, he said basically that he realized that painting doesn't come with a soundtrack and like wanted to kind of like find a medium that I think was like more active than painting. But he still thinks like he thinks that cinema should be like an image based medium and not a text based medium, which is interesting. And I feel like an interesting thing for us to talk about. Because also this book is a lot about language and text. (laughs) You called it a book. (laughs) Oh my God. Ah. (laughs) Whoops. Whoops. I don't know. Yeah. It's all coming together. (laughs) (laughs) I just keep a, like a empty spine over my laptop just to like look cool. So I get confused. Um. (laughs) Human or book? Oh. Yes. Uh, a a book made out of human skin. They're overrated. Yeah, I want I want the the human bone breakfast chair from Crimes oh of the God. Future. Oh my God, the breakfaster. <laughs> the breakfaster. It looks so uncomfortable. It's all- <laughs> yeah, yeah. What should we talk about the 
what do you want to just start talking about? Like plot, formalism, the formalism zone. <laughs> we need to have Ash like hold up. Yeah, hold up. I can do it. Yeah, so we need it. a. Uh, um, do you still have it? Hang on. When we, when we had them on, oh, did you see Arthur yawn? No. The formalism zone. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I really should rewatch <laughs> Pay the Ghost. The movie slapped. <laughs> the movie was actually pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the formal elements of this movie are, like, incredibly important. I, I just wanted to lick it the whole gorgeous. time. Gorgeous. Yeah, just absolutely <laughs> incredible. Instead of form, instead of starting with the formalism zone, though, I, I'm always yeah. interested in, like, the production. Because, like, this movie came out, it went to film festivals, and from what I understand... It was offered either an X or an unrated rating, yeah. and they went with unrated because of the association with pornography. And then a cut version that was rated R was released to the United States, and that made money. Or did it? Or did the uncut version make it to the United States, and that made a release here? Oh, I'm not sure. I was confused. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's hard with like some of these movies are really hard to track, like what the actual film is like, yeah, what like Caligula yeah which is like, the other movie I've seen Helen Mirren's tits in. right yeah. <laughs> um yeah and this is like prime Helen Mirren tits time oh yeah <laughs> I mean they're still prime white big tits <laughs> but um yeah it's like all those movies like uh Sallow Caligula Possession they all you know it's like hard to know what was like the right oh the devil's that one Just like we to don't that episode <laughs> yeah like we, we don't really know i guess if we're like watching the right version or not which is really sad like they get cut up so badly sometimes um which is why it's great when there's like a re-release of them like i just got the the new release of crash <gasps> oh the criterion one yeah yeah i got that for christmas yeah <laughs> so good <laughs> so hopefully that's like a nice intact version that i can like trust the editing of and it's not like cut up for i guess people who fainted while they watched this which seems pretty implausible the the the, the, the page stuffing that one was a little rough not gonna wait lie. this movie or crash oh both i guess yeah yeah, people walked out of this film for sure. There were people who who booed. I can understand fainting at this movie because there's some like really gruesome parts where you the don't kid. really expecting. Yeah, like like stabbing the kid, the fork in the face was kind of like unexpected. I feel like there was and, one, and especially the fact that like Michael Gambon is so. It, like it surprises me that like the violence and the whatnot can actually kind of surprise us and come out of nowhere considering he's just on in the same level the entire time he's so elevated the whole time that it says something that things can still stick out <laughs> yeah i mean he just like never shuts up which is like a interesting i mean i think it's like a, a useful character choice you know, that he just has something to say about everything. And then, like, his counterpart, the lover, says nothing for, like, many scenes. Yeah, I loved all the, like, cruising happening. Like, very traditional. I wasn't clear if this was, like, a fourth wall break, because one of the scenes later in the movie, they say, oh, I saw a movie where the the man didn't speak for 30 minutes of it, and then, like, he just kind of his, sort like, of stares face. at the camera. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. Should we briefly tell people what it's about without doing like a plot cap, you know, plot by plot recap? Sure. Yeah. Who wants to who wants to take that on? <laughs> Michael Gambon is in a Guy Ritchie movie and he is a real aw bastard, right? <laughs> I mean like properly odd, right? And he's hanging out with the guy with a bloke from fucking lie to me, right? You understand? And then he's there with this this bird who looks like a bird, and I put a photo of the bird in the notes. And I didn't know Michael Gambon was like Welsh, or was he Welsh? No, Peter no, Greenaway is he, Welsh. No, he's doing in a, real life. He's doing a. No, I know he's doing a voice, Justin. Yeah, but he's really good at it. <laughs> well, then why bring up his Welshness? Okay, um, and then <laughs> uh, so he buys a French restaurant and imagines himself as a gourmet. And he has his wife, who he hates, and who hates him. So typical marriage. <laughs> and he is running this French restaurant into the ground. And there's the French chef, who apparently just is unflappable. He looks like Columbo, but French. Mm. He is unflappable. And Columbo. Yes, and he does. The he unflappable like Columbo. Columbo. He's like, I think he's unflappable because he's the only one who the thief Gambin like doesn't talk down to because he's like the arbiter of taste. Like he's his kind of like entrance to culture. His name is Spica, which confused yeah. me because I thought he because he and when you first see him, he wears a sash. And I thought he was literally like speaker, like speaker of the House of Commons or something. But his name is Spica, S-P-I-C-A. And it's I really like confusing. their little sashes. Oh, speaking of which, Jean-Paul Gaultier mm-hmm. did the costumes for this, which yes. makes me incredibly happened, happy. I saw that name pop up and I was like, ah! for those of you who don't know, Jean-Paul Gaultier, Gaultier is a haute couture fashion house. Gaultier also did the costumes for Fifth Element. So. And the and the Madonna the like yeah. famous Madonna cone bra. He's done a lot with um, Dita Von Teese as mm-hmm. as well. Him and Mugler, I believe, have both done a lot of work with Mr. Pearl, the corset the corsetor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, and like the costumes in this movie are, are like they're incredible. And the the first time I realized like, that the clothes like changed colors mm-hmm. depending on where they were, I was like. <gasps> I mean, I'm sure that's they're not actually like changing color fabric, but it's still. <laughs> no, I think they had to make. I mean, they had to make like different sets for every, which is wild for every room. So, like, most of the movie takes place in this French restaurant, and like the days are marked by the changing menu, which is also really cool. I love that as like an element. So the outdoors, like the back area is, I think, blue. And then the the dining, the um, kitchen is like jungle green. And like Greenaway calls it jungle green. The dining room is like really intense red. And then the bathroom is white. But when the door opens, the red of the dining room like pours in and like makes it pink, which is beautiful. And then anything to do with the lover is like brown because he has mm-hmm. a bookshop. Yeah. And the other, the only, the other thing too, is like the only two characters whose clothes don't change 
throughout are the the cook and the lover because they're like fixed characters already they don't they're not like sort of ever changing they don't have to like put on a show they just kind of are who they are right yeah so yeah like helen mirren was obviously not having it with michael gambon just being an asshole constantly who can blame her and she's at the restaurant she catches the eye of one of the other diners who has a book with him reading and they like cruise each other they go fuck in the bathroom they don't speak they're cruising you know okay but his whole approach to to it i i wrote it down because like she they, they make eyes they, they kind of like make eye contact not really making eyes at each other they make eye contact she goes to the bathroom he walks into the woman's bathroom, goes, Ooh, what? No head? And walks back out and then just like stands there for a while. And she's like, Hell yeah. Is this how have I been doing this wrong? Is this straight cruising? Should I be <laughs> like doing crimes to, to pick up women? But he, the face he makes, he walks in and he just goes, <laughs> Because we are not a visual medium. (laughs) Justin did like a shrug face. And then and then exited frame. (laughs) Yeah, he just does that and walks out. But I did love the scene where uh, right afterwards, because she offers him a cigarette, he's like, "Mm." and then her cigarettes are red and her dress is red. And I thought I should color coordinate my cigarettes with my outfit. Which is easy because I only wear black, so I should just start smoking cloves again. Yeah, just like be a goth. Yeah, it's great over here. Yeah. Being a goth is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> no one here is wearing anything other than black. People again, not a video medium, but I've got my Rocky Horror shirt on because yeah. of the end I made. I did a, I did a callback at the at the screen when I was watching it. <laughs> I have a t shirt with a rib cage filled nice. with flowers. Nice. So. So yeah, they, they start an affair right under his nose, and that's most of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then he finds out, you know, homicidal rage. Are, are we going in the spoiler zone? Fuck it, spoiler zone. He kills the lover by having his cronies force feed him pages from his books, his favorite book on French history that he was currently cataloging, and force feed him uh, pages, and that's how they kill him. She gets revenge by having the cook cook the body of her lover to feed to him and that is when i was watching my watching the movie and like when that's a rather tender subject that's a rather tasteless joke like at my (laughs) screen and like had to fight the urge to be like meatloaf it's what's for dinner his name was robert paulson like just that whole yeah that whole scene from rocky horror and all the callbacks you do and then that's sort of the movie it's incredibly simple for being two hours long it's she has an affair he finds out bad things happen she 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 does a titus andronicus the end yeah and like the characters i mean i i like you know they all have names too but i do like that there's like archetypes you know and it's like so clearly referenced in the title of the movie you know that it's just like this is what the cook does this is what the lover does this is what the thief does and this is what his wife does and it's just you know these are they are acting out like this you know like sort of classic revenge story yeah and it's i think it's something we we touched on in the notes and in that art great article that you sent us about how this film both like kind of reinforces like classifications as well as shows 
not necessarily that the lines between those are blurred, but that the passing through them is not necessarily fixed. As in, like, yeah, there are these archetypes, but they don't always fit them. And the the great article is about, um, like, the digestive tract. And then how this movie is always, like, tracking through scenes, and it's obvious it's a, a set and all this. And it's going back and forth, and things aren't necessarily going in the directions that they're supposed to go. And breaking out of these classification uh, systems. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because she's, like, the wife. But, like, she doesn't want to be the wife. She's really bad at it. Yeah, she's... <laughs> And for good reason. Yeah. You know, it's a horrible place for for a person to be. But yeah, the the article, actually, the podcast Girls, Guts, and Jalo did an episode. I love that podcast. Yeah, they did an episode about this movie, too. It's great. And they mentioned this article that I looked up, Traversing the Elementary Canal by Tim White. So yeah, it's like also just reinforced in so many parts of the movie, you know, that like this whole movie is about like eating and shitting and having sex and like food that is like right on the verge of rotting, you know, and there's so many references to like Peter Greenaway loves like Baroque paintings and stuff like that. And there's, I think a lot of references to like Dutch Vanitas and like Memento Mori where it's like, you know, it's all about life cascading into death, cascading into another life, and, you know, just this, like, cycle. And obviously the cycles in this movie are, like, broken and don't necessarily go where you think they're going to go. But, yeah. Yeah, like, one of my favorite genres of art is, like, the the Flemish Renaissance and, like, the still lifes, because they're always, like, have, like, rotting fruit in them and flies, while also, like, fully bloomed flowers. And, yeah, and they're what, so That is cool. Flemish right a lot of the yeah, Dutch renaissance yeah. yeah 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 i like hadn't noticed because i know that greenaway is really big into like flemish um art but that weirdly is not a connection i made until i was like looking at your notes i was like oh duh well there's like so much in this movie it's like an incredibly maximalist movie which is i think why one of the reasons why it gets talked about in art school a lot like if someone is kind of like using that aesthetic everyone's always like oh you gotta see peter greenaway movies you know they're like beautiful and repulsive at the same time and they love to play with those things and you know that's like a big art trope like a lot of us weirdos like you know like teasing that out and kind of i guess like finding a tension between those two things yeah yeah i just want to like there was this wing of the boston mfa that was this one still life painter because i believe they have a big like dutch um wing in there and i would just like love love looking love looking through it but you know when we first were like oh what movie could we have you on for and then he suggested this i was like yeah because i've been wanting to see it but i was like wait why that movie and then like oh the lover is a a bookseller and they kill him by like shoving like force feeding him books until he dies and actually really that was the grossest thing in this movie to to me but while I was watching it, like, so I, I mean, I, I, I'm one of those people I'm starting to like have some qualms with calling it personal knowledge management, but like the PKM scene, cause I'm into like note taking and all this stuff. The term information diet has been something that's been going around a lot. Like what is your information diet? What information sources are you consuming? Are they like 
vegetables or are they junk food? Are you aware of which ones they are? Yeah. And it's like, well, sometimes like I'm on Twitter because it's like a fidget toy while I'm in a meeting and like that's actually how I focus. But this whole idea of like, it's not just content that you're consuming, it's information itself that you are consuming and not just that you're consuming it, but that it's like a diet that you can like tailor and you have to judge whether things are good or bad in it. And so I was like, okay, this movie's about food loosely. This has got a lot of food in it. And how do we view like, okay, if I have like information diet in my head, as I'm watching this movie about food and consumption, how do we digest and like the, the track that takes through the body and how that gets conflated with sex and how people relate to each other and how this movie is even conveying information and all that, like what happens. <laughs> and I gotta say, even just metatextually, the way this movie chooses to convey what it is conveying as information is fascinating. You brought up the, the menus thing Mm -hmm. how like it kind of demarcates the days the scenes the acts whatever with like a a a menu prefix i forget but Mm -hmm. basically like this is not just here's the menu what we offer but this is what the set menu is for the day with like some pretty like here's some rosemary like actual bits of food around it and so as a way of like telling the viewer okay here's where we're at now here's where to expect but also like think about okay if i go to a restaurant what's that menu conveying to me? What does that mean? And I just, you know, seen, seen a Cronenberg film. So obviously I'm like, what does it mean? Same. <laughs> yeah. Like I've been laughing about body as reality for like two weeks now. Yeah. And like the thing you pointed out about how like when they're cruising, like the lover doesn't talk at all. Whereas, you know, Michael Gammon doesn't shut the fuck up. Relatable. <laughs> I never shut the fuck up either. Uh, at least I'm not like that homicidal. How there's like books in it, how food conveys information like what happens if we as like library and information professionals don't just view information as like i'm gonna write a research paper or here's data i got while doing a scholarship or here's books or something but like what happens when we look at food as information worthy of being studied and looked at as of like how people transmit information from to each other and all that stuff. So I was just like the whole time I was watching, I was like, oh, this is way juicier than I like thought it would be. <laughs> juicy. That's a uh-huh. good word for it too. Yeah. It's so juicy. I want to watch this like six more times. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the, about like the menus and like the quality of the menus, like that's very flowery French descriptions of meals and like you know one of the big setups of the movie is that Spica is kind of like this boorish like nouveau riche guy who actually has like no culture at all so he can't pronounce like any of the menu items (laughs) yeah he's like poi poi and like Georgina can but he can't you know and like that's another source of like like his rage he is well i guess greenaway and i I, this is like something i think would be interesting to talk about greenaway says that this is a movie that like is kind of about like the thatcher era of england where like greed was good yeah (laughs) and then he like people read it as like the lover is like the ineffectual intellectual left which is like okay that's a call out (laughs) um but i don't know it's interesting because he's like still like there's still people above that nouveau riche kind of like petty criminal 
this movie doesn't actually like it doesn't seem like it it seems like it goes after them and not like the top like thatcher (laughs) it also doesn't seem like it's making a commentary on class necessarily because everyone in this is like he's still upper class and it doesn't i don't know if it maybe i missed this part doesn't necessarily say how he got his money like i'm assuming maybe he's not born with it but maybe he is just one of those people who's born with it and is still a boorish asshole and not like a like a a pent-up like new englander who lives in the middle of nowhere connecticut (laughs) who like wears ratty sweaters and you know is in the secret history right i know those people (laughs) are you talking about the lover no, Michael Gambon. Oh, Michael Gambon. Yeah, because the lover's name is Michael too, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, the uh, the thief is his actual name is Albert. That's right. Right. Yeah. Well, there is a lot of like strange class relations because you see the kitchen, you see like yeah. the people working in there, you see the guy who never has a shirt, who I'm a big fan of. Like he's just there making rue all day, no shirt. I love the little chain. singing lad, very Peter Greenaway, a little singing cherubic lad. And the thing that like sort of was strange to me, like at the beginning, it kind of made sense, but as it went on, it was like everyone is really ride or die for this affair. Like no one is going to spill the beans, no matter how many people get stabbed or like attacked by dogs or. They're just like, no, we are French. We have a a, a commitment to this sacred affair. I love love so much. They're so romantic. <laughs> so they're like, you can fuck in the bathroom. You can fuck in the bed and in the bread room. You can fuck in on so unsanitary the, the plucking room. <laughs> Where when she when they're like oh 30, 30 seconds more and she like scoots because Helen is uh, naked in the scene and she gets up on the table where all the the feathers are and I'm like you're gonna get feathers up your ass like that's that's not it's so good hot, though I love how like dirty it all even though their sex is kind of like oh yeah but like even then like I, like it, like again this movie the way it like doesn't blur boundaries but it just goes between them in the wrong directions or like overlaps them yeah it's like yeah show that they can be like enamored and, and whatnot and it's like full of like love and passion that she hasn't felt forever and it's still like gross like she gives him a fucking blowjob on the toilet like since standing on it all awkward and stuff as the first thing they do together I was yeah. like, yeah, well, that's I mean, fucking hot. Among good. Us didn't go it's to so high hot. <laughs> and then he like uh like reaches to her face to kiss him after, which was like so intimate and like like loving, but also super sexy. Like their their affair is incredibly hot. It and really is, I, yeah. I guess like part of me was thinking like everyone in the kitchen, like that's kind of their rebellion too, maybe. Like being part of this affair i guess i mean it just started to seem weird when like everyone was just completely tight-lipped about it and i was like what it's like i don't need them to win i just need him to lose yeah like would you tell yeah. speak anything fuck no <laughs> no i mean at the end it makes total sense when like everyone turns against him mm-hmm. and like forces him to eat the guy but like there's an escalation that happens throughout the movie and i'm just like why would you the fact that the kid like let himself get force fed buttons and stabbed instead of telling him where they were was a lot i just wrote doordash cuz like they they <laughs> but they run away naked 
so they, they're about to get caught in the kitchen and where are they in this one? A very aesthetic, like light and they're in the darkness room. <laughs> they're in the dish room. Then they get pushed into the fridge. Then they drive the rotting. Some, some random guy drives the rotting meat truck. I what actually was almost the meat threw trucks? up during that. That was to be so honest. gross. Yeah, I that was threw really up. gross. Especially I'm like vegan vegetarian. I was like, like that whole scene. What is the interpretation of the meat trucks? Because we see them in the first scene. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, I got you some fucking meat. And I think it was that the, the quality of the yeah. ingredients right, the wasn't good. And so instead of dealing with it, it's like, eh, fuck this. I will leave this here until it is forced to be taken away. And there's like cops and like the FBI show up to like investigate these meat trucks. They just sit there forever. And then they have to like escape the meat. I was like, what? What's the, in- I don't, I missed was there some symbolism? I just missed. I mean, it's what's all going on with these trucks. I think. <laughs> I definitely think that there's like a little bit of like a biblical thing happening with them, like escaping and the meat truck, and then do, the what cook, biblical like, thing? Happened? Oh well, and then like the cook cleans them off, right? Because they like escape to like it's like Adam and Eve escaping to the garden. Oh, I was like, what happened with pigs in the <laughs> Bible? No, it's very deeply <laughs> symbolic. <laughs> okay. I was like, wait. No, I, I thought it was like nice when they were getting hosed off and then they like went and cuddled. Yeah. That was nice. That felt very like tender and like they were being cared for. Like the and music's it- really nice during then. It doesn't sound like Vivaldi plus Tim Burton during then. Right. Yeah. yeah that felt kind of Adam and Eve like to me, I guess. That they're like escaping this like kind of hell, like you know, like ba- Hieronymus Bosch hell or something. No, like Garden of Earthly Delights kind of yeah stuff yeah, yeah. going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought it was just repeating the first scene where you first see the trucks. The kitchen worker gets like stripped, covered in shit. I don't remember, and like yeah, it's shit. attacked by dogs. And so I thought, and then he gets hosed off. So I thought, okay, they go with the truck. Now they're getting hosed off too. So it's sort of like this, it's a repeating of the scene, but I still just didn't understand what the scene was about. It's, I mean, I guess I can see sort of the, if you're looking at it as a painting, I can see that you're trying to frame the art in the exact same way. So maybe there's like some art reference I'm missing. Maybe. Anything in the text of like the script, I'm kind of like, I would have picked up on that. But if it was like a visual thing of a painting, eh, not my strong suit. Yeah, like some of the um, more like traditional like Baroque and Renaissance art, I was vaguely good at, but I didn't, I'm not familiar enough with, I've listened to the Bad Gaze episode on Francis Bacon, mm-hmm. um, and I recently started following him, his, like his art bot oh, on yeah. Twitter after they mentioned Francis Bacon and Crimes of the Future, <laughs> uh, Francis Bacon. But yeah, I hadn't caught that reference to, to his art, which surprised me a bit because I was like, oh, it's green away. He's just going to do like Dutch shit from like the 1700s. I thought, I guess I was thinking at the beginning where it's like, you know, the very like slowed down dogs ripping like raw meat apart kind of felt a little bacon-esque. I mean, that makes sense to me of what I know of bacon. I'm not familiar enough visually with his work. I've just listened to the Bad Gaze episode about (laughs) That's a great episode, though, It's (laughs) great. Yeah, I love Bad Gaze. We had been on, by the way. Oh, sweet. Yeah. This is like a total aside, but I think what one of the things that I find really awesome about Twitter and the this like sort of loose like entanglement of podcasts and weirdos is just like all of these people who kind of have like developed similar tastes like 
oh, we love the devils and Cronenberg and Francis Bacon and like like all are able to find each other in this like kind of magical way. I like the <laughs> fucked up perverts have yeah. carved out their little niche. Yeah, and like that's another interesting like information sharing thing, you know, that like Yes, you get it. <laughs> you're like, oh, I found my people. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think also the reason like you can turn anything into like a leftist podcast is that this is like the AM radio of leftism, like all the shit that the right wing did for like 20 years on AM radio, like you can do now via podcasts. And I think it's going to have a cumulative effect. So I think it's worth doing. So like if you are really into model trains and you want to make a leftist model train podcast, you should do it because like it would be really easy and it makes sense to do it that way so i think like the whole infrastructure it's, it's good propaganda yeah. Hell yeah so there was something when i was looking through your notes kate that i would love 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 for us to talk about in um that you say language for eating and learning slash reading are similar devouring a book consuming knowledge especially considering that someone is forced to eat a book and then that person is then himself eaten and i was going on this whole thing of like oh is the tra- is the information transferred what is it because um, i'm just an asshole and went into that mode about it but considering how this film is mixing these spheres to begin with i just love that that was a point that you brought up if other people were interested in, in talking about that too yeah i just thought about it because like i think something you wrote you were like consuming and I was like, yes, let's talk about that. And um, it like, I started laughing because I have asked several partners over the years, like as a flirtation, like how long it would take for them to eat me if we like got stuck on an Island or something. Cause I'm, I just find that kind of information like very darkly interesting, but <laughs> I mean, that's why it took like a gay person to do a really good adaptation of Hannibal. Right. Yeah. 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 Cause it's like understanding, I guess there's an intimacy there. There is an intimacy. Mm-hmm. There's like a sensuality and like Hannibal is a really good reference. I think for this movie. Too. Oh yeah. I was like, I really want to watch Hannibal now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because like, he takes so much like time and care in all of the preparations he does. And like his handwriting is perfect in all of the episodes where he like pulls out his recipe cards, you know, it's like very, very stylized. And I think like, I don't know. I was just thinking about how people talk about like devouring, like you talk about that in like a sexual way. You talk about that as far as knowledge, you talk about that with food and like they can all be kind of cross like they're all about pleasure or maybe maybe not maybe about consumption or like hedonism or whatever but like it's interesting that we talk about all those things kind of in the same way and they're all like related to the body like brain brain genitals mouth anus <laughs> you know like <laughs> well it's like michael gammon's whole thing is like he just kind of rambles and he just talks about like, Oh yeah. You know, uh, my pleasures are, are all the same. Like I like to eat, but I also like Georgina, uh, but it's strange because it's strange because, uh, 
pleasure parts the part where the shit comes. I don't remember what he says, but it's like the naughty like you bits. eat and you shit and the naughty bits are near your shit. The dirty bits are near the good bits or something. I like the point that the article brings up where it's not necessarily he's talking about innocence and like defilement, but he's literally just being like immature and childish. And like, those are her dirty bits, like her, where her asshole is her dirty bits because ew, it's dirty, like childish instead of just being able to be like, don't shit where you eat kind of thing. Um, I liked that distinction again of just how brilliantly this movie conveys what it's trying to talk about through language, but also through food and the, the brilliant semiotic trick this film plays in the prairie oyster scene where I forgot that he was eating oh, yeah, bread yeah. dipped in water and thought that he had actually been fed a prairie oyster. Yeah. That, that he didn't know that's what it was. Like how, for those of you, you know, Al- Albert, Alfred? Albert. Uh, Albert, yeah. Ha- has Tim Roth's here, by the way. Uh, Tim Roth is in, he just shows up. He's in this movie. No one lies to him, not even once. He he looks like he's he's wearing some some ruffles. He's looking good. He's being very Tim Roth. Uh, he doesn't know what prairie oysters are. Um, and not in the way that they are in Cabaret, where it's whiskey and toothpaste and an egg, <laughs> but in the um, te- uh, bull or sheep testicles kind of way. And Michael Gambon's like, now take this ear, bread dipped in water, and put it in your mouth. And imagine all these textures, blah, blah, blah. Because Tim Roth doesn't know that a prairie oyster is not like an oyster oyster. And like, now what you've just eaten... He's a sheep's testicle or, or whatever. And then he like spits the bread out. And I forgot that like he hadn't been eating an actual cooked testicle because of just like how this movie is. Because <laughs> food's interesting and sent on to convey on film and in text. Because how do you convey to a person who can experience those senses while watching it? properly like ratatouille does this really well i think even though you know i haven't seen ratatouille since high school and didn't like it but still great job the book perfume does this really well shout out to the book perfume it's one of my favorites another good like weirdo fucked up pervert book spirit i like spirited away from like food foods a yeah yeah and that movie tampopo i have the criterion of tampopo it's so good i love tampopo yeah yeah. yeah, I love Thumbopo. I, I should make some ramen after we get off here. Yeah. Oh, God, I fucking love that movie. That's fantastic. Oh, yes, it's so good. Yeah, like, semiotically, how this movie is conveying, okay, what is it like to eat this thing of food? And so the fact that we know that that character isn't actually eating that, and even if he were, we know that as an actor, that's not what he would be eating, probably. It's still, like, there's this trickery... That, that just goes on with the language and the information that is being given to us versus what we know is, quote, true. I was just speaking to um, R.E. Parrish. I, I know her about this because she was just on the Right Good podcast about how Dracula, one of its big things is like this gothic fear over what forms of information are more truthful and reliable than others because it is epistolary and so like information sources in this film and what it is saying about them which ones are more reliable or not like when he's like busting that crayfish open and it's fucking like in and fucking back on my like lord of the rings bullshit like in twin towers or is it return of the king anyway when denethor is eating the, the cherry tomato 
like very aggressively and he's like shaking and like ripping this crayfish open it looks disgusting i lost my train of thought thinking about lord of the rings I'm trying to remember <laughs> to <the> horse name. <laughs> it happens I was saying something about like food and information. He's like, "Oh, the crayfish," and you get it out, and it, yet it looks disgusting. But then he can describe a prairie oyster, but we know it's bread, and yeah, yeah, like the food versus the the words, and then the books, and yeah, I, that was jumbled up. But when I was in my junior year of college, I went to Brazil like for the year, and I experienced like this kind of like weird dissonance with food and like what someone tells you it is and what it really is like to the high most high extent the family that i was staying with it was my first night there and they made me a cake they brought out the cake and cut it up and what it actually was and i i don't know if they thought like americans love sandwiches or something i have no idea it was a layer cake made of like sandwich stuff so like where'd you say you were in Brazil. Aren't they the ones that like put weird stuff on pizza? They do, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense though. <laughs> <laughs> but it was all like uh like lunch meat and then like sandwich, like the sandwich part was like the cake layer, the lunch meat was like the icing layer, and then the whole thing was iced in mayonnaise and they like wrote my name in ketchup and it was truly the most horrifying thing I've like ever experienced in my life. This makes total sense. I was thinking about this the other day because American food, because what you've been talking about, Jay, is like food ways and like the way that people, it's like all the cultural accoutrements of creating food, but it's also, you can use like information. You could do an information approach to food ways. Like when I was a graduate assistant, my supervisor, I worked in special collections. My supervisor was a food ways historian. So he did the same thing I did. He did his master's in history, did his master's in library science. And then he's like, oh, I don't need to be like a historian. I can just do history and work in special collections all the time. So he had all these collections of like, not recipes. What's, what's the word? I'm like menus. He would save menus from like all the local restaurants and stuff. And he like wrote books about lo- local restaurants. And the whole thing about foodways is like, it's information that's conveyed in very specific ways. But I was thinking about this the other day and like most of like the most notable American foods are sandwiches because they're all they all come out of this particular time in like the industrialization of the U.S. And it's all just stuff you can eat on the go. So it's all sandwiches, hot dogs. I feel like kind of fall in that, but people don't really eat hot dogs. Yeah, people don't really eat hot dogs during lunch, but it's the same thing. It's just like bread you can hold and like you can walk around with so like it makes sense but like yeah i can totally understand why someone would be like oh ham-, like the thing that most people know us for is hamburgers and what is that it's just a sandwich so like it makes total sense to me that someone would be like oh american food sandwiches just yeah yeah, yeah here's your weird sandwich cake and it was like yeah the like simulacrum of a cake where it's like absolutely not a cake and i'm like i'm a person who doesn't like mayonnaise very much so it was like the idea of mayonnaise like like trying to simulate frosting was like incredibly upsetting and um yeah it's true it's like you know the food in this movie is very like upscale french and like you're you read it very clearly as as that and like you know the cook is actually like it's funny he's called a cook because he's really like a chef for sure um and he has very specific like food quality like 
you first walk in and he's talking about like plucking the the duck and like how yeah the (laughs) canal and how important it is to pluck it a specific way and like there is like a funny thing that's like i feel like not everyone but like americans and probably like some europeans like automatically read the french as being more cultured you know and so it's like this little symbol that you get right away that because it's a french restaurant it's fancy you know and the food is fancy and it's hard to pronounce you know and you have to be cultured to be able to like belong there and you have to wear gautier yes and like albert doesn't really belong there but he can belong there with bullying and just like making everyone else scared and granted, his outfits were looking good. He, I saw the way his like pants were tailored in those cool boots he was wearing. <laughs> he was also in Gautier. He does have some cool outfits. You're right. Yeah, the, the, that sash was looking pretty good. I like his um, uh, cravat with the big, because it's actually acting as a napkin like they were supposed to, um, with a, a nice big like stone. In it. That was nice. But the cravats looked like grandma doilies, which looked yeah. really cheap, which is really funny. I loved it. Yeah, they're like napkins. But they're Gautier. They're Gautier. <laughs> it's I thought Gautier, they looked cheap darling. On, por- uh, on porpoise. Yeah, because they're napkins. Okay. Well, it's- that's also a weird fashion thing, too, where, like, I don't know if you've seen the Balenciaga uh, sneakers that oh, are like. yeah thousands of dollars I'm but they're supposed to look no i mean uh, it, especially no. for this like <laughs> yeah. they're supposed to look trampled and torn apart but they're thousands of dollars which is a very weird fashion like class trope yeah i'm a i'm a versace like <laughs> look like a whore with a lot of gold that's all you need i'm like yes agreed versace let's do it versace i've watched showgirls in high school and i've just been fucked since then <laughs> I'm really glad it's going through like a renaissance. I appreciate yes, that a lot. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. What, getting fucked? I mean, sure. Not yeah, for that me. Too. But yeah, showgirls. <laughs> I think it's because Benedetta came out, maybe. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Benedetta was good. Did you notice the lady from Doctor Who was the waitress? Whomst? The, the lady who is like the doctor's wife in the new Doctor Who? She's no. like a milk. There are several characters that are referred to by that moniker in the newer Doctor Who. You're going to have to be more specific. Do you mean River Song or do you mean the yeah, artist in the body of a human woman? Really? Wait, is Doctor Who polyamorous in the new season? No. I mean, he's, oh, okay. he's, there's River he's, Song. Uh, then he's a monogamous. In- what do you call it when you're monogamous and you keep dating, dating, and dating? Serial monogamous. Serial yeah. Yeah. But also there's um one of my favorite episodes is a uh, Neil Gaiman wrote it and the body the soul of the TARDIS gets put into a person. And that episode is called The Doctor's Wife. Oh hence okay. my confusion. But yeah, River Song, let's Yeah, let's she's she's uh she's the waitress. Uh, which I didn't think she was. Is she the one who gets stabbed back. with the fork? No, 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 no. She's she's just in the background everywhere. She's wearing the Zap Brannigan outfit, which I really love. How everyone is dressed like Zap Brannigan. They've got their red velour and the white gloves, like Vegeta. I loved Helen Mirren's. I didn't realize it wasn't two. It was just one opera glove with fringe on it. <sighs> I need yes. it in my life so much. A Gautier opera glove with fringe on it? Are you kidding me? Instead of like flagging with hankies, I want it with opera gloves right now. 
with doilies. Oh, it is her. Yeah. She's in like the background. She's in the background of like every scene. I thought she was only going to like show up once or twice, but she's in the background. Like, is the she the one movie. wearing like a fun fifth element type of outfit in that final scene with like the spikies on her shoulders? I don't remember the final scene, but she's always just wearing the waitress outfit. It was oh. kind of important. <laughs> her, her character's name was Adele. I did love, I loved like the procession in yeah, like, the final scene. I that thought that was rolled. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. The dude who did the score had that like perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. So it was nice. I like yeah. whenever I see an extra like trip. So one of my favorite scenes in the movie Troy, there's like a, a scene where Agamemnon goes, ah, and they like run. And there's one guy in the front who trips and like five people trip over him. And there's a scene in this movie where there's two waiters walking. I've got the timestamp and like one walks past the other one trips on the carpet and just like brushes it off and it's bit they can't cut because it's like a long shot. And so I just love when I'm <laughs> that. That's it's like, amazing. Oh, it'll be too much work to reshoot this. Yeah. Yeah. He just kicks yeah. up the carpet. And he's like, Oh yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine reshooting any of these scenes would take a very long time. Cause I mean, I feel like that's, well, we talked about it a little bit that like lots of the scenes are like long tracking scenes. <laughs> Yeah, especially tracking shots that do that cool thing where it's like, we're going to go through the wall, where it makes it very obvious that we're on a a soundstage. But then they also use those, they do a Hitchcock rope cut to change the colors of the clothes. That's that's what they use those those for. I was like, oh, this is is cool shit. Classic rope cut. (laughs) Classic rope cut. Yeah, no, rope is, you know, I haven't seen it. It's a, a bad gaze movie. It's not leopold and loeb um and it's the all-in-one take mm-hmm. movie um it's the most stressed out i've ever been in a movie theater was when i got to see rope in a theater but they hide the cuts by like we're gonna zoom into a character's jacket as they're hanging it up because it's dark <laughs> something else i put in the notes that i was like oh there's disc horse going around about this right now so the line um where she's like have you read all of these and he's like, no, book bookkeepers aren't actually required to read all of the stock. And Kay, I don't know if this reaches your uh, side of Twitter at all ever, but in response to a lot of these fucking fascist book challenges regarding pornography, they're not pornography, but even if it were, it would be okay challenges there was this one library i didn't read into it too much but i saw that it happened where this one library came up with a policy that they were going to have like three different staff members or something like read every single book before they bought it or something or they were at least going to have someone read a book before they purchased it because often like we don't read the we often don't read the books before we buy them we rely on people who make reviews of them in our professional literature to help base our decisions a lot of the time, or if it is from a publisher or author that we're already familiar of, or, you know, if we see, hey, a professor requested this. <laughs> and so I, it, it's just, it, it automatically came out to me because that's literally something that came up with like in the past week of um, people pointing out, hey, no, we actually don't read things before we put them in the library most of the time. And this is a bad 
policy because that means nothing's ever going to get bought because we don't have the time to read. We don't yeah. actually read on the job, right? Yeah, you can't be. I mean, you're not a reading robot. Like, there's no way. I mean, it would be wonderful if you could read that much, but like, no one can. And you shouldn't be required to read everything. Like, that's is that's very silly. I don't think it was read. I think it was three people had to review it. I thought it was read. Uh, it was it was required. It wasn't required by the library. It was required by like the board of education or something, or something like, like th- that. Yeah, they, like three librarians have to look at it. But like a, a school district doesn't usually have three librarians. They usually have one that jumps between them. So it was clearly like an impossible sort of situation. Yeah, it was meant so that they couldn't buy books anymore. Basically, yeah. It's like like similar to like the you know rules about like abortion clinics where like hallways yep. have to be a certain like way always have to be 85 feet wide and 20 feet high yeah and like but we're and we're not gonna make that we're gonna make that impossible for you but like you gotta do it and you have to have admitting privileges to the local hospital that sort of thing yeah it's um that's actually one reason why for iud's they often don't give local anesthetic because then you would have to have someone trained to do anesthesia in wherever you do IUDs in order to be able to to do that. And that, yeah. It's in the uterus. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you said wherever they do IUDs. Ha uh-huh. That's where the hysteria happens. So, you know. It, it moves around. You know. Yeah. That's why we're Paranoid, not. Paranoid, sexist, and you make fun of the elderly. That's why women weren't allowed to ride on trains for a long time because they were worried our uteruses would like go missing or like move around. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know how uteruses are always leaving your body? Just wandering (laughs) around. (laughs) Trying to see, was there anything else that I frantically took notes about? (laughs) Beyond my like, I just watched a Cronenberg film. Let me get way too deep about this and what things mean. Like notes. Did anyone else think her hat looked like the bird with bangs? I didn't know that meme, but then you put it in the notes, and yes. It's not a meme. It's just a bird with bangs. I, <laughs> That's what they I, look like. I wasn't aware of that bird either, but yes. and like It was all I could see. It's possible Gautier used that as an um, inspiration image. Yeah, it would not <laughs> surprise me. He's very big on like structural elements. Like He, he does a lot of like cautious corsetry and like, yeah. foundational garments in his work and there's definitely a lot of that to be seen here i thought all her lingerie was really nice oh incredible yeah, yeah. it was gorgeous yeah. yeah i think like the main thing that i like one of the things i take away from this movie is like it's even though there are some like really abject horrible things the like the sex and like love part of it is supposed to read as actually sexy and consensual and beautiful and like that scene where she was having the chef recount to her yes oh all my of the God. times where he had like either accidentally or on purpose like voyeured her fucking and then the fact that he also mentioned that like he had like walked in on his parents doing it before and also like fantasized about her and and Michael doing it and where she was like I can't it doesn't exist if like you weren't there to see it where she has to have it like externally confirmed and I was like oh information and like had an aneurysm about it but it was so hot <laughs> it was it <laughs> was, he was very kind of straightforward hot. but he like lowered his voice down a little bit you know this like Columbo chef 
<laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he was no, like was hot. And he was I like honestly kind of a consensual part of their oh, affair. Yeah. So, she was even like, Did you want to join us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think it's like, you know, there's some like solo. I don't think there's a lot of like sexiness to read into like it's Those like how I don't find Crash movies. to be that sexy, to be yeah, honest. I, yeah, I do, but something's. I mean, there's parts of it that I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like some movies that are like, yeah, like the new Cronenberg I thought was super sexy. You know, it's like some of those movies are like, oh, I can I can tell that the director like doesn't necessarily want you to read this as hot. But like in this case, it's very clear. Like it's a beautiful like chemical. It's a chemical romance that they have. (laughs) It's like how the food is the least pleasurable thing in this movie. Mm -hmm. And it takes place in a restaurant. Yeah. All the food just looked gross. Yeah, it's like and the good it was stuff treated that's... grossly, and then yes. like anything that involved eating was just disgusting. Maybe that's why there wasn't as much oral sex as you might expect. Like, yeah, she like blows him, but and then he like you know sucks her tits a few times. But like for a food focused film, you'd think there'd be more people going down on each other. But maybe because like there's not pleasure in any of the things involving mouths most of the time in this. Yeah, there was a lot of pleasure in like their silence, actually. So that kind of makes sense, you know, like their trysts had to be quiet. So I don't know. It's just a lot of full frontal of both of them. (laughs) Yeah, like I know if it's a European film, I'm like, oh, they're a little more lax. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's just a a cooked penis. Okay. (laughs) Is this one of the the Looney Tunes? Once again, this is called Love Sounds. No, where'd you find oh, this? Oh God, it just no. it just comes with voice mod. No, I'm I'm kink shaming voice mod. No. <laughs> I thought it was um like the Looney Tunes where Bugs Bunny is like dressed up like a lady. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. we love like Bugs Bunny waifu. Bugs Bunny in yes, this house. Yes. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about there. So Lots to talk about. There should be a leftist, like, pervert podcast about Bugs Bunny. <laughs> I mean, I if only so that I can come on, they can have me on to talk about what's Opera Doc and Rabbit of Seville. Ooh. I would like to come on and talk about how when Bugs Bunny gets cooked into a stew, it's, like, oddly sexy. Yes. Because <laughs> yeah. something weird happened to my brain when I was a <laughs> And child. that's why you like this movie. <laughs> I'm just gaining like Hannibal too much. And I was like, oh, okay. There's a lot of cool stylized lights. Yeah. Things look like artwork. It's pinging the same centers of my brain here. There's food. It's not pretty like in Hannibal. And what's his what's what's his name, the actor? Maz Mickelson. Oh, yeah. Or or um Yeah, Mads Mickelson. Or the one of the other two. Mads. Gags Gickelson. I love Maz Mickelson. Yeah, Mads is a beautiful man. He's great. Everyone in that show is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Brian Fuller is doing a Christine remake, by the way. Ooh. I didn't get why, and then I saw Christine, and it's the gayest movie I've ever seen. So it makes sense. That does make sense. (laughs) Yeah. What else did I have in the noty notes? I love how we barely talked about, like, the book. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was the whole point, right? Of you being like, oh, well, there's a book in here. Yeah. Okay, come on. There's a warehouse. People put books in warehouses. It's dumb. It's yeah. what we have to do because books take up physical space and 
They yeah. do. Oh, that's because he, he was he a bookseller, and then also the depository was where the extra books were. Well, he had a night. This is not just like a, okay. He was. Because I'm like, is that just a British term? Books and also was a cataloger for his second job. Oh, because so he, he was cataloging he a book rich. on French history, and I was like, talk dirty to me. Yeah, and. It- and so he had a bedroom in the depository that they could fuck in. His I don't think so. I think room? they just made that. Oh, okay. I think it was I just mean, a, like a loft that was converted into a book depository, and then later they used it because it had a really good like skyline view. Yeah. Because in Dallas, you know, it's really hard to get like a good skyline view. So when you're in the book depository in Dallas. And you just really need like a lot of line of sight to really take. Uh oh. Speaking of which, did did you see that Kim Kardashian broke the Marilyn Monroe JFK Happy Birthday, Mr. President dress that she yes. wore to the Met Gala? Yes, she did. <gasps> to be a to be a fashion bitch here again. So fucked up. Oh, I'm so mad about it. Yeah. And like, I just, I listened to a, there's that, that podcast, You Must Remember This, which is like an old film podcast. It's really good. But I listened to like, yeah, I listened to like a three-parter about Marilyn Monroe. And like, it's so weird listening to that. And then hearing that Kim Kardashian had to diet, like she didn't eat for like weeks to fit into that dress. And like Marilyn Monroe had so many fucked up like digestion problems and stuff because they gave her pills all the time and she had like really bad endometriosis and i don't know there's something really i don't know just like gross about i guess glamorizing that and that dress was like she wore it yeah to like sing to jfk and like their relationship was so fucked up like i don't know and i think even Marilyn was like sewed into it she was yeah yeah and it was like made to fit her body and just I love Marilyn Monroe. It's one of those where it's like I I watched Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and I was like, this isn't gonna be as good as and then I was like, this movie rules. It's such and a then, good movie. Yeah. And then I should just start checking other on any demographic form that asks my gender and sexuality, because it won't let me say whatever the fuck is going on in some like it hot <laughs> at all times. <laughs> is my answer to both of those. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, she just had a... You know that in terms of male, human, and female Pokemon breeding, Vaporeon is the most compatible Pokemon for humans? What? (laughs) Okay. I I didn't know that. (laughs) What's a Vaporeon? It's Pokemon. I don't know Pokemon. Me neither. I did the summer Pokemon Go. I Pokemon Go to the polls that one (laughs) glorious summer. But I don't know what Pokemon are. I like that it's called a vape a vaporeon. Yeah, because it? it's like a water type. Yeah, it's a, it's like a like vapor. Yeah, oh, I'm trying to yeah. get yeah. I'm trying to get Jay into like Dragon Ball Z because I feel like he missed <laughs> out on being like a 14 year old shithead. So I feel like <laughs> every day you've got to wake up and I listen listened to, to Radiohead in high school. It was fine. You need to. I, look I got up. to be a fourteen-year-old shithead. I listened to Radiohead. <laughs> you need to watch Vegeta punch Goku every morning to System of a Down. Sugar. Is this going to be like my final step in transitioning? As I have to, <laughs> I have to watch Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yes. I can't be a real boy until I watch Dragon Ball Z. I'll make a man out of you. I guess that's why. 
I've, I've always been such a fan, so, so I don't have to watch me. it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jay. I'll cut that. <laughs> you can you can put it in there. No, I always make that joke when I watch Rocky Horror because that's a similar song in just seven days. You know, I can make you a man. Yeah. If it's only, on. yeah. Yeah, um, I'm a Rocky Horror. See, I watched Rocky Horror in fifth grade. Yeah, it's you know. I watched it when I was like thirty. Yeah, <laughs> no, I don't need to have watched Dragon Ball Z, even though actually, to be fair, when it was on at night on Adult Swim, when I was like six, I did have it on when I went to bed. But I watched you didn't Sailor Moon. Hours, <laughs> you didn't spend hours screaming at the woods trying to go Super Saiyan. Like I didn't know what Super Saiyan es- was until like five it's years an ago. Essential point. I didn't know who Sasuke was. I still don't know who Sasuke oh, is. I just know that they're supposed to kiss. The, yeah. Or that's Naruto. Yeah, it's Naruto. I got, I, Naruto I got them Sasuke. confused. Naruto and Sasuke. Uh, it's just watch Yu Yu Hakusho. It's better. I don't know what that is. Same either. thing. I'm lost. I like even even <laughs> Now you both know how I feel like when you're both talking about cinema, and I'm just like, you have to show. Sorry. <laughs> you're just it's like, yes, that. what like snooty pervert art house film do we both enjoy? <laughs> yeah. I liked um, the only anime I've watched and enjoyed is Dora Hidoro. Dora Hidoro is pretty See, good. I was going to yeah. ask, like, have you watched Angel's Egg or something? Because I can no. see that being something you've watched. No, but I mean, I'm open-minded. I just, like, had, I never got into it. Angel's Egg is a film by the same... It's animated, and it's very experimental and ab- surrealist abstract. I don't know if... I don't remember if there's dialogue, but it's by the same guy who did Ghost in the Shell. Oh, okay. I'm writing yeah. it down. It's good. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. I'll put it in my notes. I'm more familiar with uh, films than I am with series. Films. As far love, as Japanese animation goes. Yeah, I love films. Films. As far as the animation of the Orient, you know, it's... Uh, it's... <laughs> I, I love the Orson Welles critiques things on Twitter meme. <laughs> it's so good. Dragon Ball Z. It's, Amazing. I'm happy this week, and that is one of the reasons. This is Dragon Ball Z. That man drank a lot of wine. He sure did. I love him. Yeah. You know, this is a pile of shit, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) And he was supposed to be in um, uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, which would have been really cool. That's right. He was going to be Harkonnen, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That that documentary is so good. It's incredible. It's so good. Justin, have you seen that? Mm -mm. It's so good. I've never seen anything except Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball yeah, said. I, I, Dragon Ball is just injected into my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that Pinky in the Brain, Brain is based off of a warm-up. Yeah. 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 I love Pinky in the Brain. Me too. Yeah. That's a thing we all get along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. made several Pinky in the Brain references on our podcast. I don't know why it just like it just got in there, you know? My Shadowcast yeah. group in college, we put several in scenes of like riff and magenta when they'd like make eyes to go fuck somewhere it's like are you thinking what i'm thinking pinky <laughs> <laughs> yeah but we're we gonna get a fat green jello <laughs> i just want to watch rocky horror now too i want to watch venom i don't know why earlier i was like i, I haven't watch seen venom, it but i hear neither. it's so good it's i hear it's perverted and monster fuckery and oh. it is 
and um, Thomas Hardy is deranged, and I like Thomas Hardy, and yeah. I like monster fucking. I'll put it on. I hear the, list. the second one's even more monster fuckery <laughs> and deranged. It is. It's really good. He goes yeah, through like a rave. I hear they're quite good. Yeah, I love I deranged monster fucking. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't hate super filmy comic movies. I don't hate them. I actually am a defender of the first Avengers film as one of the greatest action films ever made. Whoa! Uh, as in they should cut his mic. They should teach it as in like its structure and stuff. I don't even like Joss Whedon. And I'm like, that's a genuinely good action movie. <sighs> but so, Kate, we always like to end with an action-oriented <laughs> question. The what? An action-oriented oh, question. Okay. So the important thing should we do for librarianship based on what we talked about today? Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> How should we orient our lives around the cook, the thief, his wife, and the four-star Dragon Ball? oh my god i think okay so i always i I guess like i don't know what librarians do in this in in this like part of like critical like building up sort of like critical knowledge but i feel like movies like this like people don't watch them because they're just like put in one box, you know, where it's like, Oh, this is a disgusting movie. And like some people watch it because it is a disgusting movie, but like, I feel like it's so much more than that. And people don't have, like, we don't have a really good like language for film. I think like in the United States, obviously Um, it's horrible. And this film references so many different things. And like, I think it, I don't know. It talks about like all different art forms and like the music is really beautiful. And like, it's like formally really exciting and there's amazing fashion. Like, I just feel like these movies get lost, you know, and it's sad that like nobody watches them anymore. Yeah. So librarians in our classification languages, they are shit at genre Mm, okay especially the ones that like we in the united states tend to use the library of congress genre form terms that'll be like fiction film like the basics Mm -hmm. but like a a former supervisor and i have been wanting to for years write a paper on um subject headings and genre form terms for romance novels because of how granular those genres get and where romance novel just doesn't cut it for most actual fans of it and so for like what how do you classify this film and then how do you show the relationships to other media and forms that it references in order to create that like serendipitous experience so that if you're like a high school nerd like me and you're reading a book and it mentions this movie that you can then easily access this movie and oh this movie references this piece of art well then i want to go look at that too oh my god yes yes yeah. Yeah. This could be a good use case for linked data or something like it. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. So like how do we make sure that these <sighs> culture is more complicated than we like to think of in our cataloging classification systems? Yeah. I love that. Like I mean that's the way I learn about different art forms, you know, and like Me too. <laughs> within this movie, you're like, okay, well, in the dining room, there's a Franz Hall's painting, you know, and like, who's that? <laughs> Let me look that up. He also references, there's a movie called Le, Le Grand Bouffe, which is like for, it's it's a gross movie for, for men like enter into a big booth. 
yeah, basically, they enter a suicide pact, like, to basically, like, eat themselves to death. It sounds like something those guys who did, like, Delicatessen would make. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, like, you know, that's how people, I think, at least that's how I learned that, like, you kind of bounce from like one thing to another and like you form this sort of like um when i was in art school they would talk about a lot about how you would form your sort of like artistic lineage so you'd be like louise bourgeois is an artist that i look at all the time like what artist does she look at and like if i like peter greenaway like what is me what's the music he listens to you know and like you kind of form this like constellation of art references and like it's not linear. It's all just kind of like bouncing. At my new job, once I start, that's actually going to be a type of skill I am wanting to like teach the students is that sort of curatorial, how do you find things unrelated to your performances and compositions oh, that cool. you can include in those and not even like I'm physically going to put this in my performance or composition but how do you curate that kind of lineage and network and, yeah. and whatnot instead of just hear sheet music right? right yeah when I was writing my I had to write a thesis for my MFA it was short but because most of it was like a gallery show but I like on my wall just put up like five sheets of paper and like with a Sharpie, I just was like artists I'm looking at books. I'm reading films. I like things I want to talk about, you know, and it was like really easy. And whenever we had, cause we had crits all the time. So like whenever anyone came in, I'd be like, look at my wall. <laughs> like, this is what I want to talk about. And like, this is my art. And like, let's go from there, you know? So it was like really easy to digest. Yeah, like, what if information professionals and, and librarians, like, instead of just here, I'm going to do a reference interview, I'm going to do an a, a, a instruction on, you know, here's how you use our databases or whatever, but like, teaching people those kinds of personal curatorial skills. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, that is also information that people interact with and have to, like, manage and find and, like, evaluate and stuff. It's not just for, like, research papers or a book that's similar to the book that you just read, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's super rad. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad that they're teaching that in art school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess so. In in yeah. my program, at least. Yeah. Yeah. What's your uh, medium? Um, I do fiber and installation. Oh, that's right. You said yeah. that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. There's a, a library article I should send you then. It's about yeah. this person who did a classification and it was in ancient Greece. And she, her method was compared to weaving and fiber arts. It's oh, very cool. By one of my favorite librarians, Melissa Adler. It's called Eros in the Library. I love it. I love it yeah, already. It's <laughs> yeah, it, it's super short too. It's great. Yeah, cool. Yeah, she uh, did it for an art uh, uh, journal. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's right, boys. Mondo cool. Justin, I, you look dead even though it's 9 p.m. where you are. <laughs> it's Justin, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we are we are arted uh -oh. <laughs> too much. I arted, yeah, I, guys, I arted. <laughs> I arted all over myself. Go. I'm sorry. I don't I always get fun art people to talk with. I did it again. <laughs> oops, <laughs> oops, all arts. <laughs> well, 
Kate, is there anything else you want to, to plug at the very last minute? No, that's, uh, I guess just, uh, listen to Fangs for the memories and go to at Fangs podcast on Twitter. They'll all be in the notes. Uh, even if they weren't so fangs, you decide. Good night. Yeah.